God and the blood applied to my life, it was just if I had ever sinned. And I praise God for that. Thank the Lord for his blessings this evening. All right. To weary you tonight, turn your Bibles to Psalms chapter number 51. Psalms chapter number 51. Probably won't stay here in this psalm very long tonight. We'll look at a few things, Lord being our helper, and then we'll go home, okay? You can also be finding your place in 2 Samuel chapter number 12. 2 Samuel chapter number 12. All right, let's all stand if you can for the reading and reverence of the Word of God. I'm going to read a few verses of Scripture, then we'll pray. All right. Psalms 51 and verse 1 said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, the only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You can be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity one more time to be in your house. And we ask God that you'd use us for just a few minutes, give us clarity of thought and speech. We pray God you'd help us to preach. We know we have no preaching in us. Lord, and if anything's done good tonight, it'll be because you did it. We're looking for your help to now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Now, we mentioned this morning, and let me remind those that may not have been here or been in the last few messages that we've preached. We've been preaching out of Psalms chapter number 32, Psalms chapter number 51, both dealing with the same instant, and this will be dealing with David's sin regarding the sin that he committed uh, with Bathsheba, that sin of adultery, which we understand also progressed into that of murder uh, and continued on with that of lying and just continued to get worse and to get worse and worse and worse. We talked about how Psalms chapter number 51 shows the raw emotion of David uh, as he's responding to what uh, Nathan the prophet had said to him in Second Samuel chapter number 12, verses 7 through 12. And uh, this, this Psalms 51 closely correlates with Psalms chapter number 32. Psalms chapter number 32, as I've stated, is an instructional psalm. Psalms chapter number 51 is a penitential psalm. And we see that of repentance being uh, made in Psalms chapter number 51. We see uh, the, the state of David's heart, uh, how he has turned himself towards God, admitted freely what he is, what he's done and is seeking for the Lord to restore him and the joy of his salvation. I'll say this, there's joy in salvation tonight. Uh, and if, you, if, you're not, if you're not enjoying your salvation tonight, you might ought to stop and ask yourself uh, what is going on. Now, I'm not saying that it's rose in balmy all the time. And uh, when I got saved, I realized that I got the devil on my trail, Brother Gene, but I've also got the Spirit of the Lord living on the inside. And there's something good, there's something enjoyable about having peace with God and fellowshipping with God and being able to talk to the Lord uh, and having that relationship. That's a wonderful thing. And uh, when you don't have that, when you've got sin in your life that's causing that fellowship to be 
uh, distance, uh, it is it is a miserable, miserable time in your life. But we read in Psalms 32 and Psalms 51, and we've seen uh, specifically in Psalms 32, and we mentioned this this morning, that God made the first move in correcting David in David's sin. Now, I want to say this before I get into the message. Uh, I appreciate the Lord making the first move. But I also appreciate the fact that the Lord gave David the time David needed to get to the place where he could hear the man of God. God did not send Nathan down there prematurely, but God waited until he knew that David was in a place to accept what the man of God had to say. I want to say to you, there's some folk today that have uh, a state of mind that will not allow them to hear what it is that's being said to them. And the old adage goes, if you can't listen, you can feel and God has a way of taking someone that won't listen and won't open their ears and that's stubborn and allowing them to go through some things that eventually when the man of God comes and talks to them, they have the heart to listen because there's some time that has wrought uh, the uh, work in that individual's life. The uh, Lord has allowed them to struggle and to, to be on a downward spiral, if you will, until once you get so far down, Brother Marvin, the only place you've got to look is up. And God will let you get to the place sometimes where you get so far down that all you've got is to look up. Well, in all reality, if we just get down to begin with, uh, we could go ahead and look up earlier. Amen? But uh, what we see here is God has made the first move. God has put it in the heart of Nathan the prophet uh, to go down and talk to David. But here's what I want to uh, call our attention to before we get into the, this psalm very deeply. Is David come to the place with the gene where he had to hate his sin? David could not stand himself. David hated the sin so bad that David had to hate himself. You know, our biggest problem today is the love that we have for ourselves. Yeah. The, the way that we view ourselves. I hate to say this, but sometimes my wife can probably testify that sometimes the way I view myself may not necessarily be the way that she is viewing me at that moment. Sometimes I feel as if I get a little lofty, maybe. And I have an attitude that I know, and in all reality, I don't even have all the facts. Has your wife ever said anything to you or be talking, and before she even gets out what it is that she's got to say, the wheels are already turning in your head, and you're looking for the answer, the reply to her, before she ever even gets out everything that she's trying to say. You may not even know where she's going with it, but you've formed an opinion or, or a statement or a, uh, something to, to say, and you may not even have the, the whole picture. But David, David gets to the place here where David can't stand himself. He's done something that he hates so bad uh, that, that he's, he's allowed himself or the Lord has allowed him to get to the place where he just, he's at the end of the road. And then we find that there is a turning that takes place. Now, here's what I want to look at here. Um, if I can, let's find, starting verse number one, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Now we're going to look at that in just a moment. Then it says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. So now we're looking at that of iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. So we see transgressions, iniquity, and sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. So he understands that what he has done is he stepped over the boundary of what God said was okay. All right, that's what a transgression is. It's to step over the boundary that God has set in place. All right? And so he says, for I acknowledge my transgression 
and my sin is ever before me. Against thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know uh, wisdom. Now I want you to understand here Let's go to verse number 13 for just a moment. Read a few verses of scripture. It said, then will I teach transgressors thy ways uh, and sinners shall be cover, uh, converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood giftedness, O God, that, that uh, thou God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. That a light is not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, that wilt not uh, despise. So we understand here that uh, David gets to the place where he has a broken heart. He has a contrite spirit. Now the heart we know is deceitful above all things desperately wicked. We say that all the time. But, but the Lord had to break David down. David come to a place in his life where he was a broken Man, He was not the man that he used to be. And I'm, I'm afraid that sometimes because we won't get to the place where we need to be on our own, the Lord has to allow us to get to the place where we are broken down. Now let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 12 for just a minute. I want to look at something. And really what I'm trying to do is put your mind in context to what is actually happening here. Uh, as we look at, look at it in Psalms chapter number 51, I'm trying to put Psalms 51, if I can, in its proper place in these scriptures. Second Samuel chapter number 12, uh, understanding that verses one through six is where the Lord has sent Nathan unto David, uh, the prophet Nathan, and Nathan has talked to David, this man uh, who uh, was brought out from the sheepfold and made a king. He was a shepherd. And he gives him a story here about the poor man having one little ewe lamb and a, a, a rich man having a whole flock. And the rich man takes the little man, the little man, little poor man's ewe lamb uh, and uh, takes it from uh, the, the poor man. And David gets angry. David gets real upset here. And David starts talking about what he's going to do. Verse 5, we see that his anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he's telling this to Nathan, and he says, As the Lord liveth the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now we find here this famous punchline, which we have brought up before. It says, uh, Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. But it doesn't end there. A lot of times when we refer to uh, this portion of Scripture, we use this punchline, but we don't get the rest of what Nathan, the prophet, has said to King David. I want to say this. He hit him with the he hit him with the line that hurt him the most, and then he poured the coal to him. He got him where he wanted him, and then he didn't let up, Brother Shane. He let him know all that God had put in Nathan's heart to say to King David. So let's look for a moment at everything that we find here that Nathan has said to David. The Bible said, Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel. And I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom. And gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. 
Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now what we're finding here is when he first comes to David, he's dealing with that of a lamb. And he's telling him a story that allows David to relate. And then he says, thou art the man. Then he don't only deal with just this matter of taking Bathsheba. Then he starts dealing with all the other sins. So he didn't leave any stone uncovered. He realized that he had David where David was in a place to where David was willing to open his ears and listen to what thus saith the Lord. So he says here, now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house. So we see judgment is being passed. The consequences are being shown David before David repents. Now David here, uh, the Bible said here, now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou despise me. And has taken thy wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor. And he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of his son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said unto David, The Lord, has, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Now we find here in verse number 14 says, How be it because with this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord uh, to blaspheme the child also that is born unto thee uh, shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house. So Nathan's left him now sitting here. He's giving the punchline. He's told him what all is wrong with him. Then he turns around and walks out. Do you know why? Because David didn't have to answer to Nathan. David didn't owe Nathan any explanation whatsoever. Nathan delivered to David what David needed to hear, and then Nathan left for David to deal with God. Okay? So Nathan's, I mean, David's got some things he's going to have to get straightened out. The Bible said Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. So here's what I here's what I want to say to you. If I could put Psalms 51 in its rightful place, you're going to find that when Nathan the prophet leaves David, this is where Psalms 51 kicks into gear. All right, so between verses 7 and 12, we find what all that Nathan the prophet has said to David. Verse 13, David responds. Nathan responds, and in the latter part of 13, and in the verse 14, then Nathan leaves in verse 15, and the things we see in Psalms 51 start taking place. All right, so here's what I want us to see. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, Psalms 51, verse 1, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, Blot out my transgressions. Now, what is a transgression? We mentioned this a moment ago. It is to step over the boundary God has set in place. Then he says this, wash me truly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now, I'd like to give you the definition of iniquity if the Lord would help me. We see that David changes the way he words this between verses 1 and verses 2. Iniquity, according to Webster's 1828 dictionary, is simply unrighteousness. A deviation from rectitude as the iniquity of war. Rectitude is exact conformity to truth or to the rules prescribed for moral conduct, either by divine or human laws. So we can say that iniquity is that of unrighteousness. And we know that no doubt sin is unrighteousness. But we also know that the Bible tells us in Romans uh, 3 and 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, 
No, not one. We understand that Romans 3.23 tells us that we've come short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is unrighteousness, but coming short of His glory is unrighteousness. Because in the context of Romans 3, coming short of His glory, His glory is that of righteousness. So we and our unrighteousness come short of the righteousness of God. You say, why are you, why are you cutting, or why are you, why are you cutting this down this way? Why are you uh, slicing a frog hair, if you will? Well, go to Isaiah chapter number sixty-four for just a moment, because I want to, I want to put this in context, uh, if the Lord will help us. Isaiah chapter number sixty-four. Isaiah chapter number sixty-four. All right, now, let me give you a little bit of understanding about what we're finding when we look at Isaiah chapter number 64. When you're considering this chapter and you're reading this chapter, this chapter is written to the nation of Israel. This is a prophetic chapter. Uh, This is uh, a prophetic chapter of the great tribulation period. Okay? And so understanding that when we read verse 1 says, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. As when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things which we look not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. You can find this in Revelation 6 and 16, where the enemies are, where people will cry for the mountains to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. They want the rocks to fall on them. They want to be hid from the wrath of the Lamb. All right, then the Bible says, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Thou meanest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness, those that remember thee in thy ways. Behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned. In in those is continuance, and we shall be saved. So from verses 1 through 5, we're seeing that the nation of Israel is being dealt with in regards to prophetically to that of the great tribulation period. But when we drop down to verse number 6, we find that this is a universal passage of Scripture that can be applied to all of mankind. The Bible says that we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Now, considering that all our righteousness is as filthy rags, and considering that the psalmist David here is breaking down a difference between transgression uh, and iniquity. Uh, We also find in verse 5 when he said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This verse of Scripture is looked at in a couple different ways. Some people will look at this verse of Scripture and apply it in a fashion that would make it seem that as if David's mother and father done something that they were not supposed to be doing and therefore David was shapen in that iniquity. 
But what I want you to understand, he also said, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So they're, they're calling the what David's mother and father were doing that of a sinful act. But here's what I want you to see. That does not fit in the context of this passage of Scripture because David is not dealing with his sin and the forgiveness of his sin and pointing to uh, his mother to take the, the Lord's eyes off of David and place it on that of his mother. He's stating, no, I am what I am, and that is a sinner because I was born a sinner. I'd like for you to give me a moment to explain to you why that is. All right, so considering that, we're going to find here that in Isaiah chapter number 64, the Bible says that we are all, A-L-L, as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Now, if you read Romans 3 and 9, you will find that the Bible talks in Romans 3 and 9, if I can find my place here, uh, what then are we better than they? No, in no wise. We have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. So we're talking about the Jew in Isaiah 64, but when we talk about this unclean thing and this righteousness, this filthy rags, we understand it can be universally applied because we find in Romans 3 and 9 that there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. The Jew, no doubt, were born sinners and so were you. Amen? There's no difference. And the justification from the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary is for all of mankind as well. We find that in Romans chapter number 3. And verse number 22, when he says, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. So I want to say this, before he tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the verse before that lets us know that there's no difference. The righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus unto all and upon all them that believe. So any man, woman, boy, and girl that will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ can be saved. Yes, all men are sinners. We all have sinned, past tense. When he looks at the child that's not been born yet, he sees the child that's not been born yet as one that has sinned. Past tense. But here's what I want you to understand. All of these people can be saved when they call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of our righteousness was as filthy rags according to Isaiah 64 and 6. So this is a universal, uh, universal passage of Scripture. Now, I want you to understand here, the Bible says that we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteous are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Now, when we read Romans 3 and 9, we find out that the Jew and Gentile are under sin. Have you ever considered the way that's worded? Under sin. Under is a picture of slavery. Paul even references it in Romans 7 when he uh, talks about being sold under sin. Regardless of your view on that passage of scripture, in what tense he's dealing with, saved or unsaved, he's saying this, that he is sold under sin. Being sold under sin is that of slavery. It, 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 it's a picture of being held down by something bigger and more powerful than you are. And can I say to you, that's what sin has done to mankind. 
It's, it's made them a slave. We were a slave to sin when we were born into this world. But we are all as, un, as an unclean thing. Now, look, let's look at something quickly. If you, if you can, turn your Bible uh, to the book of Job. Turn your Bibles to the book of Job for just a second. Let's look at a verse of scripture here. The way this is worded is very important. Job chapter number 14. I want to grab the context of this chapter. The Bible says in Job chapter 14 and verse number one, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. So understanding right here, we see the curse of sin. In the very first, the very first verse of Job chapter number 14, we understand that a man is a few days and in the few days that he has, those few days are full of trouble. Now, have you ever thought, I don't know if you've ever paid attention to this, but death is a picture of sin. Say, so what do you mean? Brother Gene, I dare say, brother, that when you was 20 years old, you didn't have a wrinkle on your face no more. And I'd say you had a head full of hair. And I go back and look at pictures when I got married. I had a head full of hair. I'm changing. I don't look the same. My body's not young and fit like it used to be. So that's my fault. So that's age induced, okay? But what I'm saying is we break down. We, we, see the, we see the corruption in our own flesh. We see that we're not what we once was, but we're all the time degrading and getting worse and worse. You know what sin does when it's finished? It bringeth forth death. Sin tears a person down. Their body degrades. That's what sin does. The picture of mankind and not being what it used to be is a picture of sin and what sin does. The dirty, the awfulness of sin. All right? But Job chapter number 14 says, He that is one of a woman is a few days in full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. And dost thou open thine eyes upon such an one and bringest me into judgment with thee. Then he says this. And listen to how this is worded. Bible said, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean, not one? Now you say, what's that mean? Well, if you'll look at the way that it's worded in Isaiah 64 and verse 6, but we are all as an unclean thing. And the conjunction here is linked to that of righteousness. All our righteousness are as filthy rags. So you see a conjunction, and the conjunction is that you find uncleanness associated with that of unrighteousness. So when we look at Job chapter 14, and we look at verse number 4, and Job's talking about mankind, and we see the curse in verse number 1, he says, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. Anybody born of a woman is going to be a sinner. Is born a sinner void of the ability to please a righteous God. We are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. No matter what we aspire to be, no matter what we aspire to do, no matter what we want to, to do with this Adamic flesh, we was born sinners unable to please God in any capacity. Why? Because we've come up short. We've come up short. When you come up short, that means you're just not meeting the standard required. 
If brother, G, if brother Shane was going to hire somebody, he needs somebody that can do the job. If they don't meet the standard, they come up short, they don't get the job. If Brother Shane's not qualified to do what somebody's calling him or hiring him to do, then he comes up short. They don't want him to do the job. If I'm roofing a house and Brother Shane says, well, I can do part of it, but I can't do all of it, I don't want him to do the job because I need the whole house roof. And what we're finding here is any unrighteousness that we may have of ourselves is filthy. It's not worth anything. And it's linked to that of being unclean. And we find that who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. These are not just verses of Scripture just shot out into, a, a, into an Old Testament book. They tie in and you find that there's a connection here. So but we're all as unclean things. All our, our, all our righteous are as filthy rags. Now, uh, listen to me. We are all as unclean things. And we see the conjunction, the unclean being tied to that of righteousness and that our righteous are as filthy rags. What is a filthy rag? Now, I, I'm going to be careful how I say this, and I want you to listen closely. You, you, you find uncleanness all through the book of Leviticus. And there's something that has to be done for someone that's unclean in the book of Leviticus. We talked about it this morning when we was preaching on the hyssop, how there was a blood atonement for that a leper that was unclean. All right, and so unclean brings to mind the word unclean brings to mind a couple of things when I'm considering uh, the, the book of Leviticus. Unclean brings to mind that of a leper or leprosy. And leprosy, can I say to you also, leprosy is not uh, just something that pops up. Leprosy is caught by someone else. You're a, if you're a leper, you're a leper because you got around somebody that had leprosy. If I get the flu, Brother Gene, I get the flu because I caught it from somebody who had the flu. What I'm saying here is when we consider what Job is saying in verse number 14, he said, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? What we're finding here is a man born of a woman is a few days full of trouble and he's born unclean. He's born unrighteous. He's born void of the ability to please a holy, righteous God. And so here's what I want you to see. It brings to mind that of a leper. But then I want you to understand this. And I'm very careful how I word this. But you'll find on more than one occasion that a woman during the natural cycle of her menstruation is to be considered unclean. So what the world, preacher, has that got to do with anything? Well, let me read to you Lamentations 1 and 17. When, and when, well, let me, let me just give you the thought here so we don't have to dig through it. We don't have to find it. But Lamentations 1 and 17 is Jeremiah writing at the end of this verse that Jerusalem is a menstruous woman among adversaries. So what's that got to do with anything? Well, we find that that time in a woman's life was considered that of uncleanness. Say, so, so what's that got to do with Isaiah chapter number 64? Now I'm being very careful here and I'm not being rude or vulgar, but you need to listen to this because what you the, the, the way that you perceive this seems very staunch and almost gross. But it's supposed to seem that way. Because when the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, looks at our sin, He sees it this way. So for anything you may think of the grossness of this, you need to put it in the eyeballs or in the context of how the Lord views it. He said that we are all as an unclean thing, all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind 
have taken us away. Now let me let me Leviticus 15 and 19 says, and if a woman have an issue and her issue in her flesh be blood, she shall be put apart seven days, and whosoever touches her shall be unclean. Now I do want to say this this is an impurity. And this impurity is causing separation. Why? Because she's caught, she's considered unclean. But can I say to you this? Her uncleanness is that of something that comes naturally. Think about that. She can't help it. She is what she is because she was made that way. And man born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Well, what can a clean thing come from an unclean? There's something that happens naturally within her body's system that causes her to be separated from everyone else. Why? Because she's unclean. Now, here's what I want you to see. We are all as an unclean thing. Now, I'm not just calling attention to women. We're all as unclean. We're all viewed this way. We are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. Now, here's what I want to say to you. This filthy rag is that of what a woman would use for her menstruation. Now, I know that seems bold, and I don't, I'm not, please, I'm not trying to be crude. Do a word search on this. Study this out. But what you're going to understand is this is something nobody wants to talk about, right? Nobody wants to discuss it. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to think about that. That is embarrassing. Listen, it's viewed as something that nobody wants to talk about, but it's something that we need to understand. Because when the Lord sees us, He sees us in that light. And apart from the blood that shed on the cross of Calvary, you'll be viewed this way. And you and I, friend, will go to a devil's hell for the sin that we were born with. And if we don't do something about it, you say, well, I don't agree with that. You better get to the place where you ask the Lord Jesus Christ to save you for what you are. Because if you don't come to terms with it like David did and say, behold, I was shaken in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. And you consider it in the context of Job 14, what can a clean thing Come from an unclean thing. If you don't get to the place in your life where you see yourself in the context and the light of what we're finding in chapter 64 of Isaiah, you'll die and go to hell. So I don't want to view myself as that. Who does? Nobody wants to see themselves in that light. I'll say this. I never thought it. Listen to me now. I'm, I'm digressing here for a minute. I never thought it was fair. When I read Leviticus, why a woman would be Told that she's unclean and be treated that way for something that happened after. But I then began to think about it. When I was born, I was born with a problem. I was born void of the ability to please a holy, righteous God. All have sinned and come short of the glory. So sin and coming short of his glory is used in conjunction. And in the context of Romans 3, it's referring to God's righteousness. So sin is in conjunction with the righteousness of God. And in Isaiah 64, uncleanness is in conjunction with my righteousness being as filthy rags. So when you read Job 14, you better understand something. Every man, woman, boy, and girl that's born on the face of God's earth of a woman is born covered in the blood of its mother. And when the Lord sees that child, the Lord sees that child covered in its mother's blood. But do you know what we need to see? When he, you know what he needs to see when he sees us? He needs to see us covered in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
When I was born, I was born of my mother. When I come forth into the, from the womb, I come uh, with, with, with her blood on my body. They'll take a baby and they'll wipe that baby down and clean that baby up. You know what we need? We need to be cleaned up today. We need to be born again. When you get born the second time, friend, uh, the, the, the Lord sees you covered in the blood of the Lamb, not the blood of your mother. Now, if you will, quickly, I'd like for you to turn to Revelation chapter number 19. Revelation chapter number 19. Trying to hurry here. Revelation chapter number 19. Now, let me, let, me, let me give you something to consider before we read Revelation 19, verse number 7. When we go back and we consider the blood sacrifice, the very first blood sacrifice, we find it in Genesis chapter number 3. And we see God clothing man in the skins of a sacrifice. And then we see man being pushed out of the garden of Eden. Their separation. Right? So the very first time we see the sacrifice, we see the clothing that's placed upon mankind as that of an animal. But now here's what I want you to look at with me, if you will. Revelation 19, verse number 7. We're fixing to read about the marriage of the Lamb. What is the marriage of the Lamb? Well, can I say this? The Lamb uh, come to take away the sins of the world. And we understand that, he, that, that Isaiah 53 tells us that he was led as a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before his ears had done, so he opened not his mouth. He kept his mouth shut. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't fight it. He allowed them to kill him and to slay him. And the blood of that lamb has been applied to you and I if we've been saved by the grace of God. And we are a body now fitly joined together. We are a church. Not a building, but a, but a church. And we are the bride of Christ. And if you've been saved by the grace of God, friend, uh, you've been espoused to the bridegroom. Then I want you to look in verse number 7 of Revelation 19. The Bible says, let us be glad and rejoice. Why should we be glad and rejoice? So that then give honor to him. This is why for the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. Are you ready tonight? Are you ready for the marriage of the Lamb? Have you, have you been accepted into the church because you've had the blood applied to your life? You've asked the Lord Jesus Christ that name which is above every name to save you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her, listen now, listen to the word. Let the word sink in. And to her was granted what does granted mean? Granted is bestowed. Bestowed is given gratuitously. Gratuitously is without claim or merit. And merit means to deserve. So gratuitously is to merit, which means to deserve. But we find here that, that we were granted. We did not deserve. We did not merit. You need to understand that. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen. I didn't deserve what we're finding here to be put upon the body of the bride. 
What was put upon the body of man when man sinned in the Garden of Eden? A bloody skin. But you understand what was it that David said uh, in Psalms chapter, if I can find the place, Psalms chapter number 51. He said, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken. No, excuse me, verse number seven, purge me with a hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. What do we find that, that this bride is arrayed in? Said, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. In other words, when the bride is viewed and the bride is seen by the bridegroom, the bride sees that of a righteous bride. It's not my righteousness, it's not your righteousness, but it's the righteousness of himself. And what he done, when you read as we've read before in the Song of Solomon, chapter number 5, the, the, the bride was black. The, the elements of the world had, had, had done taken a toll on her body. But the bridegroom seen her as beautiful. And she was beautiful because of what she had in relation to the bridegroom. You and I aren't beautiful today because of what we were born with. We're beautiful because of what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank God that it was granted. I didn't deserve it. It was unmerited. It wasn't supposed to. I, I, nothing I'd done was good enough. But because Christ satisfied God. Said and he was, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So we see separation in Genesis chapter number three. And we see a bloody sacrifice. Now God could have killed Adam and Eve, but he didn't. But in Revelation 19, we see the marriage of the lamb and Christ granting the apparel, which is a signet of his righteousness being put on us. Now we see the union. See, it's because of what he done, not because of what we done. And unless we accept ourselves for what we are and what we done, understanding that we do have a choice in this matter, I understand that, but we have a character too. Our character is that of a sinful nature. And you and I are going to have to understand that unless we get things under the blood, we're in trouble. But if we'll get it under the blood, We'll be able to be arrayed in something that we didn't even deserve to wear. I constantly think of Mephibosheth sitting over there crippled, unable to get to the king. Do you know what the king done, Mother Shane? He sent word after Mephibosheth. You know who made the first move? King David. He remembered the covenant that he had between him and the John. What did he say? He said, There's the one of the house of Saul. And there was one. There was Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth was dropped. Not something he done, something that somebody else caused. And somebody else caused him to fall and it crippled him. David sent after him because of the covenant that he had with Saul's son. And the next thing you know, you find a Phibosheth sitting at the king's table, eating the king's food at the king, under, with his legs, and crippled legs up under the table. No one sitting around the Phibosheth can see his crippled handicapped son. Because he was covered by the king's table. Can I say to you, Mephibosheth didn't deserve what he got. 
But it was David's love and unmerited favor that sent him down, set someone down there to get the Mephibosheth and bring him back and sit him at the king's table. Friend, if you're anything today, it's because of what Christ done for you. Sister, if you'll come to the piano, let's all stand to our feet tonight. You need to do business with God. This altar is open. I encourage you to do that while she plays. Just whatever, uh, whatever you.